If you are a small to medium-sized business or a growing law firm, this episode is for you. On today's episode of Step Your Bookkeeper Isn't Telling You, we're going to be talking about the importance of making data-driven decisions. In the words of Jay-Z, men lie, women lie, but the numbers never lie. So stay tuned as we jump into this episode. to another episode of Stuff Your Bookkeeper Isn't Telling You. I am Lola Turner, your host, and I am joined by Mrs. Terrell Turner, my co-host. How are you today, Terrell? I am great. Thank you for asking. Yeah, so I'm excited to jump into today's episode. How are you doing? How are you, how are you enjoying your day today? I am doing well. Um, at the moment, I am a lot of stuff on my mind as I am prepping for a trip to uh, Paris. I'll be having some fun over there, um, helping, um, attending a, a kind of a law, lawyer or law firm conference. I'll be helping teach some finance at this conference. So exciting. getting out, um, doing some exciting things, you know, we're going global, you know? Yeah. It's all we're good. We're going to Paris, baby. I'm excited. <laughs> we were in the UK a little bit ago. So I'm just super excited for where the firm is going and excited for the amazing people that we're meeting and all of the awesome law firms, all of the awesome churches and all of the awesome business owners that we're helping. So really excited Absolutely. about that. So let's yeah, jump into today's- also- Oh, One thing ahead. I do want to say is that I'm excited about the trip too. It, it, it's two extra things. So I'm stopping in the UK, um, get to meet up with the, the team over at Live Flow. We're going to be talking about some things. So um, get a chance to hang out with them at their office, meet some of the people that I've kind of messaged and we've talked on Slack. I know I've met the founders before um, as we've met in New York and other places and when we were in London before. So being able to catch up with them. And then on the back half is to be able to see you know, my sister-in-law, my two nephews and a brother-in-law that are there. So excited to catch up with them um, and see what's going on in their lives as well. So and you know what? UK is going to be pretty interesting because I think it was today that they're supposed to be announcing a new prime minister. Um, yeah, Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And yep. one of the things I'm excited about is the U.S. dollar is a lot stronger than it was listen, the last time we were in the U.K. So listen, I'm, I'm excited listen. about that. <laughs> listen, I am always excited about that because I'm so used to the dollar having the upper hand Whew. when we travel. But going to the U.K. <laughs> and going to Europe, I was like, mm, why is my dollar not stretching as much as it should? So um, I think when we checked yesterday, the euro was at the same. Right. It was, yeah, dollar it was like dollar. a one to one for you mm. for the euro. Spend and then money. for the U.K., it was one U.S. I guess um, I it was for one the U.S. dollars to point eight. Nine, no, one pound to point I mean, eight nine U.S. dollars. So it, it was much is much better than it has been in the yeah. past, which is what, yes. you know, I, I'm excited about, because I think one of the things, you know, and that's one of those aspects of like that you don't think about until you start traveling international mm -hmm. and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Like, mm -hmm. will the money I have here, you know, will it stretch as far? So I'm excited about that aspect um, and also just excited about jumping into today's topic. 
Yes, yes. I do want to just say as a special shout out, shout out to my nephews, Christian and Alexander, if they ever listen to this podcast, the cutest nephews ever. Okay, let me not discriminate because I have two other nephews that you think about as well. However, we're all cute. All of the Omoto Show nephews, all of the Kozanowski nephews are beautiful and amazing. So let's jump into today's episode before I start on my Auntie Lola mode. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. What do you mean like two other nephews? Like there's like... 18 of them it looks like okay, 18 all, nieces and nephews like that is a valid there's a you whole know what? clan listen there is a whole clan okay let me be specific so no but you see this is the problem when you start giving shout outs to nephews because then people start to feel left out i was only specifically talking about the omoto show children but let me be specific we have a lot of what 18 nieces and nephews who we all love and care about shout out to cameron my boo please I don't want anybody to feel left out. <laughs> I love all my nieces and nephews. Shout out to Olivia. I swear. Like, I mean, this is going to be a whole list. But the point is, we love our nieces and nephews. And we have an amazing family, amazing parents, amazing people. So let's go into today's episode before I get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Now, in the intro, I heard this awesome intro where you talked about decisions. And I do think, mm -hmm. you know, this becomes a very, very big thing because we are constantly surrounded by mm. decisions from, right. you know, the, the the things that seem minor. Like, for example, when I lived in Brazil and I was deciding about buying a souvenir for my entire family and those those at the time it was just what 15 nieces and nephews it right. was a that was a very big decision because i had to mm -hmm. plan like a month ahead to make sure that i got a gift for everybody i mean right. all the way up to things like deciding of whether or not you're going to hire somebody or whether what you know what state what city you want to locate your business in or even down to like the national stuff like you know for example we talked about with the uk the UK mm -hmm. is going to be announcing a new prime minister. Like, you know, decisions impact us at every area of life. And I think yes. it is good to talk about developing. I look at decision making as like a skill you have to develop. So it's going to be exciting to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. On the on the development skill. I think one of the things, honestly, that I have had to learn in this culture and space is how easy it is to allow your emotions to impact how you feel about some of the things that are happening around you. And a lot of times I've noticed it is so easy and it's so easy to allow your emotions to drive your reaction instead of allowing the data to drive your reaction, right? I, And I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I thought about this. I think this is one of the reasons why sometimes you see people, you know, get married and they're like, man, like this person is not who I thought they were. And like, it's like, man, I fell in love with this person. And I'm not saying that like, you should get married based on data-driven decisions all in all aspects. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it's important to make data-driven decisions when you're deciding who you should spend the rest of your life with. But I am saying that I think sometimes people, the facts are there and the data and the information is there, but people don't really take time to think about that because they're so infatuated with the idea of what it is that is happening to them. And I think that is a very, 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 very dangerous thing as a business owner, right? To be focused on the emotions of it. Because the reality is like, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, and everybody goes back to their lives as a business owner, you have to sit down and figure out like, 
how is this going to impact me? What does this mean for my business? And if you're kind of on the same bandwagon of emotions with everybody else, it's very hard to really respond in time, right, Terrell? Like, I mean, for me, like, for example, like this whole situation with the new prime minister in the UK, right? Like there's people that are upset about it. There's people that are happy that Boris Johnson is Johnson is his last name, right? Is Johnson? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Boris Johnson is gone. Um, and then it's like, okay, but as a business owner, like, okay, the new person coming in, right. You got to think through all of the policies. How are they going to change? What direction are they going in? How does that impact my business? So I think it's, it's very critical. What are some of the things that you've kind of seen in the news recently that are like, kind of driving that same reaction and response where business owners aren't really careful. They're not going to think through kind of the, the big picture. And I, the I guess, can, can I say something about the, uh, the, the point about the data driven like relationships? Cause when you <laughs> said like that, it made me think about like, there's a show that I like um, called Scorpion and it's like yeah, a okay. team of geniuses. Every decision seems to be very calculated to where it makes right. me think about like, Hey, you know what? There is a 73.5% chance that we will, our marriage will survive. I ran the numbers. I ran the <laughs> you know, but, honestly, you know, like I, I wish people were more data driven when it came to their marriages, because I think people, a lot of people would not get married. I'm just I, you know, I, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think so. And I would say, even though, you know, I laugh, laugh about it, I do think there is an element of kind of making some of those decisions, like allowing data to play a role in that decision. Cause it's right. one of those things that I heard, you know, when I was younger about, you know, Hey, if you're going to make a decision, make it with your eyes wide open. Um, yep. And it's like, make sure you fill in as many blind spots. And now I learned it from an extreme standpoint because my father was a medic in the, in the U S army. And so we lived in Germany during the time when he had to be deployed to war. And, you know, we had to do all these special drills because we were still within, I guess they would say, bombing range or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not like mm -hmm. when you're in the U.S., you know, you have these huge oceans that protect your coastlines. So if something is coming to attack you, you'll kind of see it before it happens. But right. when you're living in different parts of Europe, like, you know, you may not get as much of a warning. And so there were these that. different mm -hmm. things that that we had to do. And and I think even early on, you get introduced to like, hey, how you may feel about this. And then also, OK, what does the data tell us about this? Like, hey, how do we collect more information? So whatever decision you make, you make yeah. it with your eyes wide open. And, and I think yeah. that that's where for me is. I think it becomes a skill of being able to step outside of your feelings. Cause you asked that question about like, what are some other things? Like, you know, one thing that's come up in the news that you're seeing affect a lot of businesses are, you know, the environmental safety standard or governance or ESG. ESG is something that is really radically changing the way, like, let's say some investment companies are choosing what companies to invest in. Mm -hmm. and, and I think when you hear the term ESG, people can immediately jump to how they feel about the topic and right. step away from, okay, what is the data saying around this? Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that like, that's one that I think we can really talk. I mean, we can talk a little bit more about like, how do you emotionally disconnect from, or I guess, 
How do you disconnect the decisions from purely being emotionally driven? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I personally don't have the I don't have the set answer, right? Because I tend to be someone who it's very interesting, I guess more of a personal thing within our marriage. I tend to be the one who's very connected to the emotional side of things when it impacts, you know, especially when it impacts me. Um, and I think just having a business um has forced me to step out of the emotions. It doesn't mean that I'm fully there yet. Um, and I think you've kind of mastered the, hey, let's look at step, take a step back and let's look at the numbers here before we make a decision. So I think it's almost important to put say, I would say put safeguards in, right? Where like you have to have some sort of filter where you process information um, and how realistically like you put how you process that information and how you come to make decisions based on that information. Because I think numbers have a really a, a really good way of, of giving you a rude awakening <laughs> on what things are going to cost. I mean, personally, I'll use a good example. Like we just went through the discussion of renovating or yeah, renovating our closet or my closet in the house. And we got a couple of quotes to get that done. And I remember like Terrell, you and I were having that conversation and you were like, hey, what do you want to do in here? And I was like, yeah, like I want to add a window and I want to add like uh, hardwood floors and I want to break down like this linen, linen closet. And I just want it to be open and I just want it to look like this. And and then the first quote came in and I was like, yeah, no, nah, I don't want to do all that. That's not that serious. Like <laughs> numbers have a way of like almost shocking you back into place because it's easy sometimes when you hear information or like, for example, with the closet when we're like, okay, we're going to do the closet. And even I remember when you were telling me, you were like, hey, you know, maybe we don't need to do all that. You know, hey, maybe you need to consider all these factors. I'm like, no, I just feel like I want it. Like, this is my dream closet. Like, this is what I want. So like, you're all caught in the emotions. But then when those numbers hit, you're like, when he came back and told me it would cost $70,000 to do that, I was like, you know what? I don't need all this. I don't think it's that important. And, you know, a day before it was, it was like do or die. But now it's like, when you see those numbers, it definitely helps you kind of bring back and check. And I know you're laughing in the background. I can't see your face, but I do think it's one of those things where it's like, it's a very rude awakening. Cause you're just like, okay, now kind of let's talk based on the perspective that we have. And the conversation definitely changes in those situations. Yeah. I mean, and I agree. Cause I think, you know, to be honest, I, I I get the sense that we don't really prepare ourselves or like the environment that we live in doesn't mm. really prepare us to deal with the discomfort of that because mm. there is some discomfort in having to step out of how you feel to yeah. really look and say, what does the data tell us? Like, what is the data saying? Because yeah. I think you know, part of, I think there are two factors I think to that it, it is, is one is I think oftentimes we tend to seek personal validation in our opinions. So instead of actually, I don't want to look at the data because if the data says something different from what right. I've already accepted to be true, then right. I don't know if my ego or if I can handle, you know, contradicting information because, and yeah, I think, I whereas, I was going to say to what you said, I think that's a, a really good point because also the internet has created an environment now where it's just so easy for you to go find people that agree with the, how you feel, right? <laughs> like instead of focusing on the data, just go find someone that agrees with the point that I'm making and hey, that validates like what I'm doing, 
right? And I think that is that's that can be dangerous. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's one of those things that we've seen is like a lot of people do tend to do that and they will take things out of context just mm-hmm. because they're like, hey, in this three seconds of this clip, this yeah. person said this, this person is a, I mean, and, and we saw it a lot when it came down to COVID-19, whether mm-hmm. like some people, whether you were, you were for something or against something, what people, mm-hmm. what a lot of people were doing is, let me just go find someone who gives me ammunition to keep believing what I already want to believe. Exactly. And, exactly. and I think when we, when we live in an environment like that, like, it makes it difficult for people when they become business owners. So it's like mm-hmm. in a social setting, in a if this was just a social topic, maybe you'd be fine doing that. But when you try to bring that same mentality into your business, I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are struggling because they're trying to make business decisions the same way that they make, you know, political opinions or the same way they form, you know, social interactions or social conclusions. And I'm like, when it comes to a business, you do have to make a shift. And I wonder, are people really, you know, prepared or do they have the emotional stability or the emotional IQ to be able to say, hey, you know what, in the business, here's how I I, I still have to lay all the pieces on the table and make the decision based on the full picture as opposed to just putting blinders on and only looking at this because this helps me feel good about the decision I want to make. Ooh, that's such a really good point. And I would answer your question and say, no, I, I don't think people think through, I haven't seen, especially in this, in this culture today, my, I'm sharing my perspective based on what I've seen. I think a lot of times people try to carry social into issues into running a business And I think that applies to a certain extent, right? But at the end of the day, and I mean, I think we're seeing it, like I'm trying not to to get too political, but I'm just going to say it. I think we're seeing it when it comes to even political decisions that are being made. Like, for example, some of the initiatives that are being, that are being done to, you know, increase the minimum wage or decisions that are being made to, hey, the inflation, what was it, inflation reduction bill or inflation combat? I forget what the name of the bill was. I'm like, I that mean, doesn't even make sense. That's such a contradiction. It, it, um, it, I will say is, we'll just say the recent bill that <laughs> I got approved, because it's like, it's hard to say what is the actual name of it? Because now, like, you may hear them call it as like the- Have they like, rebranded it? Yeah, it's like some rebranding because when you really like, and I, and I say that from a person, when you actually look at the numbers of it and you look at the projections of it, it's just like, none of this actually looks like it's going to reduce inflation anytime right. in the near future. Um, yeah. When you look at it to where it's just yeah. like, I'm not sure if this name will really describe like the net. Calling it an inflation reduction, I don't think is going to allow people to look at it for what it is. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's part of the decision making process is that when we start to look at data, like data forces you to call it like it is. Exactly. <laughs> Not- exactly. Yeah. And I, I think the other point is, is that I was trying to make is I think socially that may work. But like even when we look at some of the legislation that has been passed, period, like not just not just today, but in the past, if there wasn't a thought about how we're going to pay for this, what is the impact of this? Like 
you can't just make a decision and not expect it to impact what it is that you're doing. Like, I think that's why this episode is so important because you need to be able to think through how does what I do here impact what I do there. And unfortunately, there is a lot of decisions that are being made that aren't considering that or people aren't thinking about the big picture. And the reality is in the business world, for you to survive, the companies that excel are not the companies that are here just focusing on the social idea of this, like at the end of the day, it comes to execution. And if you're executing based on how you feel without any sort of data to back it up, you end up on the short end of the stick, like getting the short end of the stick. And then you wonder like, man, like people are so focused on profits and people are so focused on like, you know, doing what's best for them. But at the end of the day, like everyone's thinking about doing what's best for them. Right. So I I think like, Really, when it comes down to it, like as a business owner, you need to be able to take a step back and separate like your emotions from from running your business to a certain extent. And, you know, and the the good thing about it is because I've worked with some business owners on this where, you know, they wanted to let's say, for example, they wanted to incorporate, you know, ESG, more ESG metrics into what they were doing in their business Mm -hmm. to where it's like. My perspective wasn't like, okay, you shouldn't do that because it doesn't make financial sense for your business. It is, hey, all right, if you want to do that, let's look at what we would call a business case. Let's put all the pieces on the table. If you want to do this, well, hey, here's the potential impact. You want to do this, here's a potential impact. And when we put all the pieces on the table, like they still wanted to move forward with the same decision, which I think is great. It's just, now you get to move forward with your eyes wide open because, exactly. hey, in some of the areas where you want it to have a more a, a, a lower carbon footprint, well, you had to prepare your supply chain to be able to make that decision. Like mm-hmm. we had to we, we had you got to go have some uncomfortable conversations with some suppliers you've been using for years. But now mm-hmm. you need to have a different conversation with them and say, hey, we're making a change. We want to change in the relationship. Like you're pretty much in in some cases, they had to break up with some of their suppliers and right. they had to go find new suppliers. And then also at the same time, it's just understanding like, hey, these new suppliers that would allow you to have a better carbon footprint. Well, that's going to cost you a little bit more. How exactly. is the business going to absorb that? What are you going to do? If prices are going to go up, okay, how are you going to message that with your clients? And I think it's just really whatever the decision is that you want to make, don't just, like I said, just focus in on that, like, you know, look at the big picture. And I think business cases tend to help people, you know, as a tool to help people take a step back and say, hey, let's look at all the relevant factors that we can get our hands around Mm -hmm. and then let's ask ourselves, hey, what do we want to do in light of what we know now? That's really good. So in that in that conversation that you had with that client, did they initiate that question or was that kind of something it came up in conversations where they were like, hey, we want to do this, this and this. And then you were like, hey, maybe let's look at the let's look at the benefits of this or the, you know, the cost that's going to come because, and the reason I'm asking the question just for context, Terrell, is because if I'm a business, if I'm a bookkeeper or an accountant listening to this episode, right? Like, how do I know? How do I drive? How do I influence? How do I help my business owner that I'm supporting kind of have that view and have that conversation? Well, I will say is absolutely not. 
Um, <laughs> just about. I mean, because so it was not. So it, it was not initiated by the business owner. Like the discussion no, on the data. No, it was absolutely okay. not. Not you know, it was absolutely not introduced by the business owner. And, and okay. I think that that is a common thing because you know it's one of those very the reality that we live in is whenever anyone is looking at something like ESG, they're looking mm -hmm. at something like, you know, paying their people what they consider to be a livable wage, even mm -hmm. when it comes down to like, you know, taxes or whether they do or don't take advantage of certain taxes. I mean, you know, whatever it may be, whether it's benefits for employees like paternity or maternity leave and all of these different things, like mm -hmm. most people who look at those situations or look at those decisions, they look at those decisions and they fall in love with their perspective on it. Like we really want to do this. So let's mm -hmm. just move forward. And I think as an accountant, the bookkeeper, the fractional CFO, I think that is our job to step in to say, hey, before we do this, let's make sure we lay all the pieces on the table before we move forward, because we can still move. Even though we put all the pieces on the table, we can still move forward. But at least let's move forward without the blind spots. And I think that's our job as bookkeepers, finance, you know, fractional CFOs or accountants is to really help bring kind of what you said, like, you know, that the numbers don't lie. The numbers will tell you a unbiased story often. Right. I mean, unless right. unless you're manipulating the numbers. the numbers. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I was like, unless you're coming up with the numbers. Listen, this is why you need someone that you trust to validate that, because when it comes to numbers, people can tell the story any way they want to tell the story. So it's good to have Absolutely. somebody that is ethical and somebody that has good morals and somebody that will not try to lie to you. OK, that's important. Yeah, I mean, um, because I will say there was also another example, like I was working with a law firm and one of the things we were running into, they were saying they wanted to grow their law firm and, you know, the 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 attorney was like, hey, they wanted to bring on an associate so they could work more cases. And, you know, we were talking and as we kind of dug into the numbers and mm -hmm. I gave her some homework of like, hey, we need to look at this and let's dig into this a little bit more. And one of the things that we realized is like that, you know, that lawyer, they really enjoy doing um, child protective, child protective custody cases. OK, um, because they really cared about the children. Now, one of the things, the reality of it is, is those cases do not pay that much money. And mm -hmm. so when we started looking at our financial performance, like we laid the pieces on the table and said, based on how you want to grow, you're not going to be able to effectively grow if these are the type of cases that you are going to continue focusing on the same way. So once we said that, you know, we kind of, I mean, it took her a little bit to, to accept it because her initial thought was, well, that means I won't be able to do these cases. I was like, well, not necessarily. Maybe yeah. like I said, you can still do it. Maybe we put a cap on how many you do, because now for you to still do those type of cases, we need to balance it with the other type of casework that does bring in, you know, revenue and more cash flow for the firm. And so yeah. what we came up with was a strategy of like, hey, only let's say, you know, 80 percent of your revenue has to come from these other type of cases, which right. does give you some capacity to focus on these type of cases. And like I said, 
it was purely for her is the social aspect of being able to help these children who couldn't afford proper representation or these families who couldn't afford proper representation. And it's just like, hey, you can balance the social with the economic mm. impact, but you got to put the pieces on the table first. That's good. And I think you also have to be as a business owner or as a as an accountant, you have to be comfortable with being the bubble buster. Like a bubble buster, dream crusher. I don't know what the, what the right word is. But like, for example, I think about a, a scenario in a situation where I was working with one of the client, one of our clients or a client and they had it was an operations and they were trying to basically make how they received product from overseas more efficient. And they wanted to go from doing pallets to like slip sheets, which is how they received it because they thought, hey, it's going to be more efficient. It's going to be easier to stack the stack the containers with logistics costs going up. It's going to be easier to stack the containers and it's going to save a shipping cost. And, you know, we can stuff more in the in the in the containers and all of that stuff. And it's going to save us money. And as they were talking to me about it, I'm like, OK, that sounds like a great initiative. And then they started to talk about, yeah, so to do this, we're going to have to buy equipment for the team that's offloading it when it comes in from overseas. I think it was like maybe Shanghai, China. When the product comes in from China, we're going to have to offload it. But we have to buy it's a specific type of forklift they use. You're going to have to buy the specific. I'm like, OK, how much is the forklift? Um, Only like $200,000. I'm like, OK. What else needs to be bought? Well, you know, okay, we have the forklifts, but then we kind of have to add more staff because it's going to take a bit more. Now that you've stacked on more product on this container, it's going to take more people to offload it, which means we're going to have to add maybe one or two more heads to do it. And as we're talking through this, I'm like, okay, how much is it going to cost to hire two more people to do this? Basically, when we were, when it was all said and done and I was adding the numbers in, it came out that actually it cost us money to do that initiative because the money that we were saving on the logistics savings was actually less than what it would cost to buy the equipment, even though the equipment was a one-time cost, buy the equipment to hire two new people. So now you've hired, you've added labor, and then you have basically gone to buy an equipment that is so specific for this operation that you can't use it for anything else. So I think sometimes as accountants, like you just have to be comfortable being the bubble buster, just being like, look, like this isn't going to work. I know you're excited. I know you want to do this. I know you think it'll be better. But hey, like this is the reality of the numbers. Now, if you decide, like, for example, in environmental situations, like if you decide you still want to do some, this is the investment you want to make. Great. But don't expect a monetary benefit from that. And I think, or hey, have an understanding, it's going to cost you X to do this. And I think as accountants, and this isn't something that I was always comfortable doing, and it's something I've become very comfortable doing recently, is being the bubble buster of just saying, hey, guys, I know we're excited about this project. I know we're excited about doing this, um, but we need to consider it. And I think that's where the business case is so handy. Um, and so I think having a business case and putting a business case together is, is critical and is key. I agree. I mean, and, and I think that that's something that I will say is if a business owner is working with an accountant, if that accountant mm -hmm. is too afraid to give you the honest answer or the honest yeah. perspective about what the numbers are saying, you're probably working with the wrong one. You need to fire that person. Because you don't need, you know, an accountant or a bookkeeper that's just going to tell you what you want to hear. Because that's a very quick way for you to lose money. I will say uh, Terrell will say, is so quick to fire people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it's necessary. It's needed. It's needed. 
and, and 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 I will say this is that you know I'm not necessarily you know saying that hey you need to just go fire everybody immediately but I think if you're running a business and yeah. you're paying someone to help you in this area you're paying right. them to help you make better financial decisions if yeah. that person is too afraid to give you and show you what the real financial picture looks like then you don't need them on your team. That's like, true. They're not you're doing what you're paying them yeah. for. Yeah, that's true. And you're paying them. I think. It, it, I think about it kind of a sorry. I was gonna say. I think about it kind of like as blindfold. Like you're blindfolded, and this person is supposed to be helping you say, "Okay, go left, go right, go left." But if you're having to figure out figure it out by yourself, you don't really need that person. Like you could do it by absolutely. Yourself. I mean, yeah. because I think that the, I mean, even with that example, I mean, you know, for let's say if the 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 business owner has a ton of other things that they're focused on. They're trying to navigate the sales process. They're trying to ma mm -hmm. manage their team. They're, you know, doing client delivery. They're doing marketing. They're, yeah. you know, doing all these other different things. And they're relying on their bookkeeper or their accountant to, hey, give me honest feedback about what we're doing so they know how to adjust where they need to. Well, if mm -hmm. the accountant isn't doing that, then it's just like, why am I paying you to add more work on my plate? Like, no, right. we need to find a new accountant. Like, we need to find somebody who's actually going to do the job that I'm paying them for. Because, yeah. you know, that becomes a, a, a really good thing of, like, when it comes down to data, is putting the pieces out there. It's like really asking yourself, if you are paying a bookkeeper or you're paying an accountant, it's really asking yourself, what do I expect them to deliver? If mm -hmm. they are not delivering those things, the data is telling you either you need to have a conversation with them or you need to let them go and find a different bookkeeper who can do the job. And, and, yeah. and you know, and I think that that just becomes back to that point of put all the pieces on the table. Let's see what's going on. And then let's make a decision based on the pieces that are on the table. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think just some guidance for the, the business owner or guidance for the accountant that's listening to this episode. If you're a business owner, this is our recommendation that you go back to your accountant and you say, hey, when it comes to making key de decisions, these are some of the things that I need. And one of the things that we've mentioned quite a few times so far is a business case. Um, and so, Terrell, I kind of just want to spend time talking through like just practically like what is a business case? Because not everybody knows that. As an accountant and as a as a finance finance partner, you should be coming to the table with a full understanding of this. But just for guidance, like, so how would you define what a business case is? Just simply put. Yeah. So I mean, a business case, what it's gonna do is it is gonna give you a idea of what costs are involved and what financial benefits are involved with the decision. And then it's yeah. going to tell you whether the costs outweigh the benefits or whether the benefits outweigh the costs. And yeah. in the simplest terms, that's what a business case is going to tell you. Right. And, and from your view, why is it important? I think we've 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 already talked about multiple reasons why it's important to have one. But just to kind of summarize again. I think the reason why it's important is one is because you don't have an unlimited amount of financial resources to invest in a business. Mm -hmm. um, so you do have to make trade-off decisions. Like some of the decisions you make 
they probably aren't going to have a financial benefit. They may have a social benefit or they may have a personal internal benefit. Like, right. And that's okay. But what the business case helps you understand is like, hey, we got to balance the amount of money we actually have, what we can right. afford to do versus what we want to do. And yep. the business case will help you kind of find that right mixture because there may be some things you do that don't have a financial impact. You just got to make right. sure, hey, we can't do that too often or we're going to run out of money and the business is going to end and fall apart. Yeah, I just actually thought about that as as you were talking. I was kind of thinking about like things every business case should have, but I thought about it in the context of my closet. So because I'm still a little bit sentimental where that's concerned. So maybe let's walk, walk. Walk, use that as an example for the audience. So I would say the first thing every business case should have is a current state. So current state, um, the closet is bare, no railing, nothing going on. There was a, uh, you know, I guess a linen closet and kind of semi in the middle. But basically, you have to identify for whatever project is it is that you're doing. What's the current state of the of this of the project, right? I don't situation. think that's an honest, I don't think that's an honest <laughs> assessment. First of, all, first of all, this is an example. Okay. So, so what, the, what do we need the to add? Closet, the closet had racks and railings. You decided fine. to take them down. <laughs> all right, fine. Let me step back. Okay, let me scale because this is actually a good example. So current state of the closet was there were two separate closets, a his and a hers closet. And the his and hers closet both had railing, and Lola decided her, Terrell was coming in, putting her clo putting clothes away, and was like, "Lola, you have a lot of clothes, and you don't have enough space." And I was like, "What? Are you serious?" It's like, "Yeah, I think we should expand your closet." So that was how we decided, and then we decided we were going to evaluate the benefit and the cost of doing this. So as a phase one, we decided to break down the walls and make it one closet. Right, that was what we did, and then from that point on. We talked about future state. And one of the things that I came back and I said, hey, future state, I would like to add a window to this. I would like to have hardwood floors. I would have like to have all these other factors that I built into that. And that's kind of your future state. Like, where is it that you're trying to go? And I guess in that situation, I think you can be as dream as much as you can, because once these numbers hit, it's going to hit you and the reality is going to come. But that's the whole point of the, the analysis. And that's the whole point of the business case. So then you share kind of what your future state is. And then from future state, Terrell, kind of what's the what's the next what's the next step after we talked about? future? Yeah, state? I mean, I, I think from the, from the future state, it's really looking at, OK, all right, what do we want to add, you know, to this closet and yeah. what is that going to cost? Now, in this situation, there wasn't. A, there isn't a financial benefit from, from doing this. First of all, there is a financial benefit. Okay, the financial benefit is Lola is able to to see her clothes. Um, financial benefit is Lola is able to see her clothes quicker, which means she can get ready quicker. Which means there's less time she's spending in her closet. Which means there's more time she's being effective, working on the marketing plan and and customer facing. And um, yeah. I, I like the way you stretch that because I'm I'm still saying there is no financial like it's not like hey by making her closet bigger our income is gonna go up it's not and, and like, I'm fine with that I, I you am gotta be honest I, with yourself this is why you don't I'm, come I'm up with fine scenarios with that. like this yeah 
I, but but I do think to you know what you were saying. I mean, on on a more serious note about you know the business case, I think in the future state is you have to define you know like what you want it to look like. Like for example, a lot of businesses that are trying to factor in you know diversity and equity in their staffing mm. is yep. really asking yourself, okay, what do your current you know demographics look like? You know, mm-hmm. what does your current demographics look like? What do you want them to look like? And then asking yourself, hey, what effort or what investment are we going to have to make to get us to what we want the future state to be? And I think once you start looking at it like that, you can start saying, all right, so we have an idea on how much this initiative is going to cost us. Mm -hmm. The next piece that you really have to start thinking about is, well, What's the benefit we're going to get from this future state initiative? Mm -hmm. Because I think the what I would call like the final step of the business case is then comparing what's the cost, the incremental cost that I'm going to incur. What's the incremental benefit that I'm going to incur? And sometimes your business case may tell you, hey, there really is no financial benefit for you to do this. But you may still move forward with that decision because of the non-financial benefits you're going to get from it, which is perfectly fine. You just got to be honest enough with yourself to know you can't make that decision too many times. You got to balance it off with like, hey, if we're making a, if we're saying yes to this based on non-financial benefits then we got to find somewhere else where the money's going to fill in the gap where we're going to pay for this somehow. Yeah, I think also to your point, another factor is in that business case evaluation, it also helps you understand like maybe you change your strategy of how you do it. It might not be a yes or no. It might be a yes, but it go we go at it differently, right? We change, maybe we take a couple of things out. We don't do all of the things that we wanted to do in the closet. Like we do, you know, no windows and all that other stuff. So it just helps you kind of reevaluate that because now you have the numbers in your pair, in your, in front of you and you know how to adjust because like you said in the beginning, you have a limited amount of resources, right? You don't have an unlimited amount of resources in your business. So it helps you kind of prioritize and decide, okay, maybe we do a phase one and phase two. Maybe we focus in phase one on these specific tasks and then phase two, these specific things. And so I think all of the business case is really helpful with that. The last thing I wanted to add on the business case is the KPIs, like the key performance indicators, because like we talked about, you know, it was it was it was a joke. But in all seriousness, like even in measuring the fi- the benefit of, of this closet for myself, right, is like, how do you properly institute if I'm thinking about just a business and, and their processes, if you're saying, hey, doing this, like, for example, the situation of that I gave of one of the clients that I worked with where they were trying to change the containers they were using to ship, it's if 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 truly there was a benefit, how do you measure and use, set up and establish processes to help you measure and make sure that you're actually getting the savings that you said you're going to get? Like, for example, People shouldn't be going and buying the same product that you've been using before and and storing inventory if you know you're switching over. So the key performance indicators will help you kind of make sure that the new process is being followed, but also make sure that you're getting the true benefit of what you said, because it's better for you to know that and measure that over time than for you to continue to do it. And then, you know, a year down the line, you've spent all this money and you're like, dang, like, I'm not getting the benefit that I want. Um, And I think that's important. 
And I think that's very important because there are so many businesses that I have seen that mm -hmm. have struggled with that. Like I'll go back to the example of the law firm that was doing, you know, CPS cases where they knew that, hey, this is the work we're doing because we want to serve this community. We want to provide right. legal support for them. Now, one of the KPIs that we then had to measure is what percentage of your revenue is coming from the other stuff? And, and one of the KPIs for them is at least 80% of your revenue has to come from these other things, which is what allows you to be able to do the CPS case. So if you wanted to do more CPS cases, you have to increase your more profitable work. And I mm -hmm. think of just them having that kind of factor in mind, it helped them understand like, how do we, you know, when we're doing our marketing and, and we're generating leads, what type of leads did we want to focus on? And, and I think being able to see the full picture gave them a little bit more practical context. And yeah. I mean, and I'll say another practical example that, you know, I've talked to a lot of businesses that really want to start implementing, you know, more diversity in like their hiring and their staffing. And one of the things that I, you know, and I've, I've worked with, you know, some pretty large organizations as they reach out to me about like, hey, what can we do in this area? How can we change things? And one of the things that I ask them is like, okay, all right, what are you guys measuring now? And mm. then do those measurements help lead to the type of outcome that you want? And one of the things that many of them had to say is we're not really measuring anything where I'm just like, well, then you're probably never going to achieve the objective that you want to achieve. And I'm like, what you do have to do is you have to find what measurements are going to be relevant for what you are trying to achieve and then be honest with yourself to say, hey, you may be going in and putting in a lot of effort and you may be advertising that, hey, we're doing a great job on diversity and inclusion. But then when mm -hmm. you look at the data, if the data is telling you, hey, you aren't doing a good job, you have to be willing to adjust <laughs> based on what the data and based on what the real factors are. And I right. think when you do that, I think that's where you transition from making emotional decisions to really being more data driven and making decisions in light of the data and with your eyes wide open. Yeah, that's really good. That's a really good point. I think that's important. Um, but on 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 to the next point that you mentioned about just other things that we kind of need to consider when we're thinking about making data driven decisions. Um, I know forecasting and modeling was one that we want we talked about. Is there specific things and and advice you would kind of give to business owners and to accountants when it comes to how they're navigating forecasting and modeling? Yeah, I mean, I would say what forecasting is one is, you know, you want to make sure that you are, you know, constantly questioning what factors are important to this decision, um, mm -hmm. because you won't always know. And I think one of the one of the probably clearest examples is how what happened with COVID as countries were trying to navigate their COVID response. As mm -hmm. more data came out, one of the things that people had to be honest with is, the assumptions we made back in month one were right. some of those, some of those factors changed. Some of those assumptions were not right. And so exactly. I think with forecasting, it's being able to adjust your underlying assumptions 
as you collect more data and you find out like, hey, what we thought wasn't completely true or hey, what we thought was a little off. So, hey, how do we update the forecast and make sure that we're accounting for this new piece of information? And I think overall, when it comes down to decisions is you have to have a feedback loop of how do we update our assumptions as we start to learn more? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I think another thing on the forecasting and modeling, when you talk about the feedback loop, um, if I was to give an example, like as a business owner, the feedback loop is if you're thinking about maybe like a like a revenue forecast as an example, how much revenue think you think we're going to sell, um, or how much revenue you think we're going to make in one period. A lot of times, your feedback looks looks like you launch a new product. Oh, excuse me, you launch a new product. Hey, what's the response from the market or the customer base? Is it is it selling? Is it not? Based on what's selling, like you're thinking, hey, is it is it a seasonal um, product or service? Where hey, you know that, for example, when you're thinking about a forecast, just as, as an accountant for your tax for taxes, how much revenue you're going to get from doing taxes. Of course, you're going to forecast a peak during tax season and during some of the seasons where, you know, certain deadlines or you have certain things that are due. So it's important to kind of understand and, and take and, and know that a, a forecast is never meant to be perfect. Because I think as you get that feedback loop and as you see, okay, there's more demand for X versus Y or, hey, you know, if you're a bakery, for example, you re re release a new product and the product's doing really well, but initially you plan to order, you know, less than you're going to need. The forecast kind of helps you understand, okay, based on how my business is performing, how do I need to pivot and adjust my numbers or adjust my strategy to kind of help meet that? So I think sometimes people can focus on the forecast being exact and being accurate, but it's not really meant to be that. It's supposed to be a guiding light. And then you kind of adjust it as you go through the process. At least that's how I would think about it. And that's how I've learned is, is the most effective. Absolutely. I mean, and, and there's so much more we can add about forecasts, but you oh, know, yeah. we really want to end the conversation really focusing, you know, drawing it back to, you know, the forecast is in the business case those and data itself those are tools to help you make better decisions so mm -hmm. we definitely hope that you gained a lot of insight from this and i will tell you is maybe i should have said this at the beginning that we were going to bring up some things that do have political implications um and the reason why is because i think those are the topics that where you see a lot of times people purely drive on their emotions and they try to use that same approach when it comes down to decisions. But hopefully in this conversation, you understand why it is probably very important for you to take a step back and say, hey, how do I make a decision with my eyes wide open? You may still make the same decision that you wanted to make, but at least you're making it with being fully aware of the consequences of your decision. So thanks for tuning in. Until next time.